0: Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order, additional term supply.
1: KMOX is at your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Now, here's your host, Mike Miller on KMOX.
2: Yes, folks, welcome and thanks for stopping by. We'll be taking a good gardening stroll shortly, but if you have any questions, concerns, or comments about your houseplants, about some seeds you've bought, about bulbs, about whatever. 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. With those questions, comments, or concerns. Mr. Kelly, before you take off, I was looking at the Internet, and I saw that the Oscar Mayer Wienermobile, they need some drivers. They're
3: hiring drivers. Right. So I
2: was curious, would that be something you'd be interested in? Uh, I don't know. That's a good question.
3: Because, you know, I don't know what goes into those things, and it would kind of be fitting that I would go in there. (laughs)
2: Well, there's somebody that in that office down there where all the uh, on-air people have their desk and everything. The yeah. uh, talent uh, office. Oh, that, oh that's yeah. what that room is. That's what is. they call it, oh, yeah. Oh, okay. But somebody has an Oscar Mayer Wiener uh, sign. Do they? Yeah. Well,
3: maybe they're applying, and that's what you get when you apply. I know Maria Kina was saying she might do that, because he's always wanted to be an Oscar Mayer Wiener. <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> you know, sometimes the internet is really kind of entertaining, like this crazy thing. But yeah, yeah most of the time, the stuff is just too depressing. But, it is. Uh, <laughs> I agree.
3: It's, it gets depressing for sure. But yeah, if we can talk about the Wienermobile. All the better. Right. Yes. Exactly.
2: And one other thing. You know, I was just curious when you do the news, do you get to pick the stories that you're going to, you know, feature?
3: Not usually. Oh. Uh, that's what Greg is doing in there, and ah. that's what our news editor does. I see. Now, during, from here on, I will. Right. But during morning, during the Total Information AM, no, that's done by an editor.
2: Okay. Although I, I will was, make
3: changes once in a while.
2: I d- was yeah. just curious. Yeah. Very good. All right. Thanks.
3: Okay. Good luck answering all this cold weather <laughs> flower questions. Uh, yeah.
2: Right. The sun's coming out, though. So I, I see. I see.
3: That. I'm
2: going to run outside and check it out. <laughs> all right. Well, folks, on Saturday morning we get together and uh, we have a roundtable discussion about what's impacting your backyard, your side or front yard landscapes, your specialty garden space, uh, the taste of the tropics with those house plants. What is potting mix? How to improve your soil, shearing and pruning, removal of bugs and diseases, using information to make best decisions? My thoughts are strictly to orchestrate and hopefully open or solidify your options with a final judgment on what action you're going to take is going to be yours. And by the way, this is your show, and I appreciate you being here. And uh, whether you're in your car, your home or wherever, while you're listening, that is absolutely great. Greg Harvey is producing again today, so uh, he's uh, obviously been a good producer for quite a while now, so I'm very lucky to have him here. And I'm Mike Miller, by the way. I've been hosting the Garden Hotline since 1994. I've written five gardening books. to are available at various locations, Internet as well. And I write articles for the Missouri Gardener magazine. And uh, during the week, though, I do landscape consulting. If you'd like for me to come to your home and do a walk and talk you can go to my website, www.mikemillerdesigns.com. On the homepage has my email address and phone number where I can be reached. And today's Good Gardening Stroll is brought to you by St. Louis Composting. 636-861-3344. As I stepped out of my car after a, the security guy came to me and said, uh, what are you doing here? Hmm. And so... He had to check me out, and I got checked out, so apparently I was okay. But uh, you st- I stepped out of my car, and I saw winterberry, and I saw winterberry holly, which is more or less a native-type holly that's not the classic holly. It's a holly that loses all its leaves, but uh, there was no berries on it. So there was also a willow oak, and what this is is in the parking lot, and it's an illustration of if you have poorly drained areas or low spots in your landscape, these are a couple plants that can do very well in those locations. Now, where would this be? Well, this was at the Missouri Botanical Garden parking lot. So as you get out of your car, you can, you can learn a lot right then because all the plants have signs at the base. And you can take a, you know, take a look, decide, ooh, Let's see, this is rain garden oriented because what they do is they run all the runoff from the parking lot into these garden areas, and they have plant materials that can handle these wet locations, and so it works out absolutely perfect. So they're not discharging, let's say, water from the parking lot into the, let's say, the stormwater catch basins or whatever you want to call them, where the sewer drainage or anything else. But as you head towards the Ridgeway Center, which is the entrance building, there's magnolia buds pointed skyward. There's Ilex China Girl, which is a type of holly. Ilex is just the genus for the holly group. and But these China Girls, hmm, I didn't see any berries on them at all. So I thought that was kind of interesting. But this is one of those varieties of holly that need a male and female. So maybe it's all just China Girl and there's no China Boys there to pollinate. So I don't know exactly. And white bark birch, skyward in the background, as right at the base of the building. There's a sign that says prairie drop seed. Hmm, nothing there. Must be deep asleep. A ginkgo tree floats along in the lawn area. Evergreen ferns at the base of a Caucasian fern, or fir, F-I-R, not fern. So there's ferns at the base of the firs. Ooh. That's kind of tough. But uh, the, these evergreen ferns are actually Christmas ferns. So even in your own landscape, you could have polysicum. Sicium, polysicium, that's a type of Christmas fern. There's some brandy wine red maples. There's a Japanese false cypress, which was weeping in the cold. Acer palmatum, which is a type of Japanese maple as well. There's some other winter berries that are a little bit bit more dwarf. And as you head around the corner, I guess that would be on the west side of the building, uh, you're going to see more false cypress. You're going to see some Norway spruce, some additional Japanese maples. You're going to see a linden viburnum and uh, Boy, this linen viburnum, if you look up high in it, there's big wads. So this is an evidence that the fall webworm had, like several of them, had uh, sort of made their nests at the top of this type of viburnum. And uh, as you just kept wandering around, you can see bed spaces. You go, whoa, whoa, there's nothing here. But I bet they're full of spring flowering bulbs. So that's what's going to happen. Right at the doorways, as you go into the Ridgeway Center on each side, there's two Japanese maples. Spectacular! It's the Acer dissectum, which is the fern leaf or fine leaf Japanese maple. The one on the west side really is holding on to quite a bit of foliage, and the one on the east side eh, not quite as much. So it just shows you what a little difference that you know can happen in that situation. So there's all kinds of other things going on, and but a sign reminds. Everybody that comes to the Botanical Garden, please, no smoking on the Botanical Garden grounds. So, Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages.
1: The only way you can take KMOX with you is with the Radio.com app. Download it today and listen to us anytime, anywhere. This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with your host Mike Miller on KMOX.
2: Yes, folks. Do you have any questions, concerns, or comments about the outdoors, or is it just too cold? You don't even want to think about the outdoors. Uh, I have to admit, it's cold. Uh, You know, we live across the street from Christie Park, and the prevailing winds blow the leaves, you know, at us because we're on the northeast corner, and they're coming out. The winds are always coming out of the southwest. So today, after the show. Snow or not. And as I said before, it looks like the sun's trying to come out here downtown. But uh, I got to get these leaves, you know, off some of my lawn areas, off some of my bed spaces, because I've heard that garden hotline guy say, if you let those leaves build up too much, you could start some fungus problems. So today I was going to take care of them earlier. And then we had that snow and the snow piled up and it took a long time. We still got some piles of snow that haven't melted yet. But I have moved some of the leaves. Excuse me. I don't know where the cough button is. I don't know that button. If there's a cough button here, I don't know if it makes you cough or makes it so you don't sound like you're coughing. But anyway, so underneath these leaves, and they're mainly like uh, oak leaves, white oaks and red oaks, both. And they're good-sized leaves. It is so wet, the way they're layered down on top of each other. So... Today, regardless of the temperature or anything else, I got to get out there and get those leaves. I'm going to rake some of them out into the road because street sweeping is going to be next Thursday, but most of them I'm going to pick up and then take to the yard waste dumpster, which is always great fun, especially if they're really wet, then that makes the 55-gallon plastic bags, which I just put them in there and dump them out. I don't put the plastic bags into the yard waste dumpster, but... Uh, It gets pretty darn heavy, so sometimes I have to, like, go, I don't know if I can lift this thing. So I only fill them, like, three-fourths of the way up. And um, I do have a cart, but for the most part, I just carry them because I don't think it matters all that much. I'm trying to keep myself in uh, shape, let's put it that way, keep myself strong. So let's go now to Chesterfield for the first caller of the day. And, again, if you do have any questions or concerns yourself, 314 436-7900 Four three six seven nine hundred or one eight hundred nine two five eleven twenty, and see what's going on in John's yard. Hi, John.
4: Good morning. Hi. I got questions about tomatoes and roses. How do I get tomato seedlings to grow without turning leggy? I've been trying for decades. I can never figure out <laughs> what to do.
2: <laughs> you have them in full sun, I'm assuming, and improved soil and everything else, and you're fertilizing. Yes. So, all right. Maybe it's a varieties you're buying as much as anything, because oh. some of them will elongate for sure. But th- all that means is they're still going to produce fruit on the ends of the branches and stuff. But the lower part of the plant, you know, is going to be, let's say, naked as far as foliage goes and everything. So I think maybe you're just analyzing them from the standpoint: if you're getting fruit production out of them, then you're doing everything as you know as best you could or can. But also yeah, just, you know, check the varieties out because some of the varieties will stay smaller. Some of them, especially if you get the cherry or grape tomatoes, they really get long. So it's yeah. kind of amazing.
4: I like the uh, recent years. I've done Roma tomatoes because they're nice and meaty.
2: Right, and they are, uh, they're one of those tomatoes that virtually they produce the you know the tomatoes all at once and then they're gone. They're dead. So
4: oh, no, I've got, they've been. I don't know, maybe. I've, Accidentally did something wrong, <laughs> they once they start producing, they keep doing it the rest of the summer,
2: really because that 's generally not what the roma does that 's why they're basically you know they were originally hybridized for tomato sauce, and that would be so you right. could you know harvest them, get all you know all the tomatoes at once, and get your sauces done oh. so that 's surprising that you have them where they 're still producing tomatoes all summer long because that 's really unusual
4: yeah it 's a big flush when it starts, but right. then you know, more than enough tomatoes for my wife and I to eat.
2: <laughs> <laughs> right.
4: <laughs> but it, it, back to the leggy thing—is it—is it Roma's going to be get leggy, or is it, it just seems like when, I, you know, late April, early May, when they have the tomato plants in the the garden sections, they're all they got really thick. And
2: they're
4: only like six or eight inches tall.
2: But, you know, these have been sort of grown in a greenhouse situation with all kinds of different, let's say, chemicals that are not necessarily going to be available to you as a homeowner to keep them short and stocky like that. So it's related to, you know, to light and everything else, too. So it's all part of the factor. So as, as long as you're getting you know production, that's why they have those things called tomato cages to support your yeah. tomatoes and all those kind of things, and steaks and everything else, because they do have a tendency to elongate as the season goes on.
4: Yeah, I got the cages, and I, I use them. Right. Other huh. question, um, Roses. Um, I, I'm down to just one hybrid tea rose. I want to get a couple of few more. Yeah, I, I'm assuming this is the right time of year to order the bare root one. Is, there,
2: is that the best way to buy the roses? Uh, As long as you're getting them from a good source. Because most of the, let's say, retail nurseries, when I used to, I managed, uh, when I left the Botanical Garden, I managed a retail garden center called Old Orchard Gardens, which is in West County. We would order yeah, the worry. roses bare root every year. And then consequently, you know, we would pot them up, potting mix and everything else. So, if it's a good source, that's fine if you do, you know you don't necessarily have to do that because there's to me personally, I think you know actually seeing the rose in the pot, seeing how thick the canes are, seeing everything all about it, I prefer that you know that approach but uh that's my own sort of hang up as opposed to like Tracy, my wife, she likes to order stuff off the internet, and I go, yeah. well, you know you're not exactly sure, even though you're pretty sure what it is. I like to see things up close and personal.
4: So I should wait until, I, until they show up with, when they're actually growing. Yeah,
2: that's well. You don't have to. I mean, bare root roses. There's nothing wrong with getting them. If again, you get them from a good source, uh, you should be fine. But just you know, have your pots, your potting mix, and everything. Because as soon as they arrive, then you put them in a pot yourself or you can put them in the ground but personally what i like to do with the bare root roses is grow them in a pot for a couple months before i put them actually out into the ground.
4: Hmm. I've never heard of that
2: before. <laughs> <laughs> well, i you know i don't necessarily do everything the, the way that people say to do it. So let's put it that way. I have my own quirkiness.
4: Well, uh, the, there's i've seen Packages where they say this is a number two rose or something like this, is there a grading system?
2: Absolutely. And it's related to the number of canes the rose will have. So just, you know, look at the, you know, you don't want the number twos. I think you want the number, I forget exactly how the grading system works. But a good, you know, some good information, if you go to the Rose Society just go to the Missouri Botanical Garden website and just click in the Rose Society, and you can contact them and get some more information about, you know, they have meetings and everything else, but also they just have an informational circumstance. Or the Botanical Garden site will have information too. But I think it's, you know, you want the number one because that's going to have more canes. So you want at least three canes coming up, you know. If they're hybrid teas, they're going to be grafted, so you want three canes coming up out of the graft.
4: Okay. All right. All right. Well, thank you very much.
2: Yep. Good luck with that. And if anybody else has any questions or comments, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. As I said before, uh, the Missouri Botanical Garden, you know, I mean, it was it's cool this morning, but it's a nice time to kind of walk around and see what this winter has done to some of the evergreens because some of the plant material there, I mean, it's regular plant material. Yes, it's well taken care of. It's well-prepared soil-wise and everything else. But some evergreens, you know, get impacted by our weather circumstance. And it's not necessarily just the cold. It can be the warmth, too, that can be, you know, let's say adversely affecting the plant material. So as you wander around, just take your phone with you or, you know, make a recording or take some notes or whatever and just take a look. And not only look at the particular plant, but look what it's, you know, planted close to, next to, what's, you know, As far as root system-wise, what's impacting it that way? Because as I was talking about the Ridgeway Center, you know, which is the entrance building to the Botanical Garden, there is a lot of plant material really close by there. And I'm curious, you know, what happens with all the root systems as they start tangling and, you know, mingling together and everything else? Obviously, they know what they're doing, you know, because if you work there, you know what you're doing. Ha, ha. At least – maybe everyone else but me cuz I worked there for 5 years in the English Woodland Garden and I learned a lot of what happens from a standpoint of root systems in the English Woodland Garden cuz I started there in 77 and uh, that was it was virtually sort of opened up or uh, let's say debuted in 76 for the bicentennial so in 77 I was really the second person that started there the first person you know that stayed there for a couple years but I was just shocked at how certain plant material you could tell where the large tree roots were impacting the plant material, the ground covers, because there'd be certain spots where the ground cover was really thick and dense. And then only a few inches away, it started thinning and thinning and thinning and then became, let's say, non-existent. And I, you know, I figured out because I was monkeying around with stuff and digging around, that that was related to directly what trees were close by and which tree roots, the feeder roots, were were impacting that situation. So there's all kinds of stuff you can learn just walking around, just making. And you don't have to you know go to the botanical garden to do it. You can do it any place because you can take a look and – see what's going on with the plant material even in your own yard what's going on with it so anyway mike miller k m o x garden hotline we will be back after these messages
1: this is your morning there's supposed- this is our morning. I'm Tom Ackerman alongside Debbie Monterey. We will check Debbie and Tom to keep you experience. up to date with world, national, and local it's news. More repercussions from the Eric Brighton section. Captain day. Roger Brand and Maria Kina with the latest traffic. Southbound on 61 on 64 again, rolling. Westbound 44, it's heavy. Dean DeVore with weather. There could be some icy spots. Plus the latest from the world of sports. Yadier Molina just finished signing here at Cardinals Care Winter Warm Up. Getting you going, and out the door with the information you need. Total Information AM. Weekday mornings beginning at On KMOX. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, here's Mike Miller on KMOX.
2: Yes, folks, we're about one month into wintertime. We still have two more months to go. But if you have any plant material, particularly woody plant material, trees and shrubs that have been planted less than, you know, around two years or less, go out and take a look at them if you haven't because. We've had some, you know, freeze-thaw cycles, and what that does is plant material that is not well established as far as root systems getting anchored into the soil, with this freezing and thawing that we're, you know, that we have really basically every winter. Those plants can be pushed up out of the ground just with this sort of action of this freeze-thaw, freeze-thaw. Then what happens is the crown of the plant where the root system and let's say the trunks of the stems meet can be exposed. And then we get a really harsh cold because we're talking, you know, like what we had yesterday or the day before when it was like down into the single digits. And that can really do some major damage to your plant material. So what you can do is you don't necessarily want to sort of like try to replant it because you could do some more damage by doing that this time of year. But, you know, maybe add another inch or two of mulch just to kind of protect the crown of the plant. And, you know, that's this freezing and thawing thing. That's one of the really detrimental things as far as plant materials, hardiness. And like I said, newly installed plant material is going to be way more impacted than plant material that have that has been installed for a while pruning if you get you know you want to get out there you want to shape things get some things pushed off to the side pushed off the sidewalk and things like that you can certainly do it this time of year there's nothing wrong with doing it as longtime listeners know that I prefer not to prune broadleaf evergreens azaleas holly and things like that uh, in the you know at this time of year I'd prefer to wait until we're Basically, two thirds of the way through winter time. So, sometime after Valentine's Day to prune the broadleaf evergreens. That's well before the new growth begins. But I just, you know, our weather is just too nutty. And you do some pruning on especially broadleaf evergreens or conifers too, but mainly broadleaf evergreens. And then we get a really harsh cold snap. You could get some real winter burn on the tips of your branches, and then that could cause, you know, some, let's say, aesthetic problems, if not let's, the overall health problems with the plant material. And as a, as a reminder, anything that, you know, basically flowers in the springtime, you can prune, whether it be forsythia, whether it be spirea, whether it be hawthorns, whether it be crabapple, all those type things, dogwoods, you can prune. But what you do when you're pruning this time of year is you're cutting off the flower buds you know that you're going to be able to enjoy in another couple of months so why not just wait until after the plant material flowers then prune it at that time so there's no no problem doing it that way at all and in reality there's no problem doing it you know during the winter time if that's your, it's basically your choice. It's just you reduce the amount of flower count that you're going to have. So those are a couple of things that maybe you should be thinking about just in general. Um, take a look if you dig if you dug up your cannas or your gladiolas or whatever. Let's say summer type bulbs, elephant ears, and you've got them stored in your basement or whatever. Um, take a look at them. You know, see if how firm they feel and everything else because. This is a time they've been inside for probably two months or so, and then consequently, hmm, if, if there is any potential rot, you want to get any of the ones that are starting to rot away from the ones that are still firm. Also, you can tell not only by just feeling the tuber or the bulb, but also they'll have kind of a little bit different smell. So I've you know, that's probably one of the things I'm going to do after I come inside today. After I do the raking of the leaves, I've got a way too many cannons because they've just exploded the last few years. And I've got a a whole lot of elephant ears, too. So I got them stored in the basement underneath a giant workbench thing that was uh, actually at our house when we bought it. They just kind of left it. So I'm going to get in there and just take a look at them and give them a sniff to see how well they feel. Let's go now to Manchester and into Tony's yard. Hi, Tony. Oh, uh, thank you
5: uh, for taking my call. Uh, the reason I'm calling, uh, after uh, I've got a, a, a bed of uh, bushes, and it's mulched bed, and after the snow melted, I noticed some lines. It almost looked like a jigsaw puzzle, and a fellow told me it was voles. Uh, can you tell me? About voles, I know about gophers. I don't know do these eat the roots and stuff like that, or what's and I, you know, how do I get rid of them?
2: Basically, it's going to be traps. Yeah, they, you know, and with the voles, they they live. They don't necessarily they don't dig their own tunnels. They use somebody else's tunnels because they're too lazy. So, in other words, they use let's say abandoned mole tunnels. Or this time of year, what happens is if they need to get something to eat, and they do eat root systems. You know, they could be running around, but the the tunnels could be unused because it is so cold right now. Mm -hmm. But what you can do is just they generally like to, let's say, have their dens underneath your front porch, underneath some evergreen shrubs or things like that. So just kind of look around a little bit and see if you can see holes that are about the size of a golf ball, you know, in the ground. If you can find those, get yourself some rat traps. And put the rat traps right there at those holes. There's going to be probably two holes, if not three, because okay. they come out and go different directions. So they, they run on top of the ground as much as they use the tunnels. They only use the tunnels when they're going underground to, you know, to eat some root systems. And they do do damage. Moles don't damage root systems other than, let's say, causing them to dehydrate. But the voles will chew on them.
5: Okay, I pre- I appreciate that. Thank you.
2: Certainly. And with the rat trap, what you want to do is you want to put some, like, really soft cheese and some peanut butter both and just smear it all over it. And that's the best way to get rid of it.
5: Now, do you try to get that trap in the hole or just
2: around the no, hole? No, no, no. It's a rat trap, so it's like the square wooden thing with a the spring-loaded type thing. So you just put it near the entrance, and the the voles are going to be attracted to the smell of the peanut butter and the cheese, and then that's how you get
5: them. Thanks a lot, Mike. I appreciate your help.
2: Yep. Well, thank you for calling. And if anybody else has any questions or concerns, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. With your house plants. It doesn't hurt them to. It doesn't hurt to feed them this time of year because they. You probably haven't maybe fed them, but just make sure that you don't feed them at label rate. Feed them at one half the label rate. So if it says like one tablespoon per gallon of water or whatever it happens to be, we'll only put in one half because if you overfeed them, you can cause some growth that there's not enough sunlight to support. And just and realize the house plants are just like the plants outdoors. They uptake nutrients and moisture through the root system. They send them up to the foliage, and then the foliage then uses sunlight or grow light light, and that makes food, and that keeps the plants healthy. But if you overfeed, it's just like you're not making them necessarily obese, but you're making – you're elongating them because you're forcing growth that they're not able to support because there's not enough sun, as you know. I mean, when's the last time – the sun that I thought was going to be coming out because uh, it was reflecting against a building across from the soldier 's memorial that 's long gone, so it's we 're probably not going to have any sun again today, so every few days we get sun, but not enough and your even though your plants are like I always say, and anybody says with the tropical plants or the house plants, put them close to a window that 's great, but still that 's not exactly the you know enough sun. For them, so under grow lights, it's going to be a little bit different. But even under grow lights, don't overfeed your plant material this time of year, and definitely don't overwater. If you overwater, you're going to rot the root system, and it's going to be a goner. So, one of the one of my favorite plants for the winter time, and I've had many of them over the years. I you know I keep them for a couple of years, and then just usually kind of get bored with them or whatever. But cyclamen, and the cyclamen are spectacular right now. So. That's you know, and the orchids. Speaking of orchids, I won't. I'll tell you for the tip of the trowel about the orchids. But uh, there's, I mean, there's so many. You can go into places that sell plant material, and the orchids are absolutely spectacular. And like I was saying last week, when I was uh, doing the Good Gardening stroll at the winter warm up down at the Hyatt at the Arch, uh, they have phalaenopsis white orchids as you go up the escalators in between the two escalators, the down and the up. So. I mean, they're really tough and durable, but you can't just leave them sit in like that because slowly but surely once they steal the flowers, they'll start fading and the plants cannot survive that way. And certainly in a retail or in a circumstance like that, they don't want anything that is not in flower that's not really looking spectacular. So let's go now to Jane and Jane lives in South City. Hi, Jane.
6: Hey there, Mike. Wow, it was pretty quick this morning. Didn't have to wait too long. (laughs) Okay, my first question is, uh, I have a huge tree that I've had forever, and surrounding it are a bunch of hosta. Now, I want to know, there are tree roots, of course, under that particular garden. Now, is it going to hurt my tree if I would dig down and get some of those feeder roots uh, if I would hit some of those and break them, is that going to hurt my tree?
2: Basically, I'm assuming your haws are probably fairly close to the tree trunk.
6: Not really. Okay. They're away from the tree trunk itself, but but I'm worried about some of those feeder roots off the tree that I might damage them and hurt my tree. Or
2: the 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 majority of the feeder roots on trees are beyond the drip line of the tree so in other oh. words the furthest extension of the branches that's where the most of the feeder roots are oh,
6: so- oh. Okay. So
2: up close, let's say all the way up to like from halfway from the trunk to the drip line, there's no feeder roots there at all. As you get closer and closer to the drip line, then there are going to be more feeder roots. But no, you're not. If you're talking about digging up some hosta and to divide or whatever, you're right. not going to do major damage in that situation.
6: Oh, terrific, Mike. May I please? ask you another yeah, question. Yeah, let
2: me make another comment related to that. Oh. If you're going to dig up hosta or anything, just make sure you water the soil the day prior to that. So this is for any kind of perennials or anything that you're digging up because it's going to help the plant that you're digging up, but also it's going to help sort of like your the trees root system too.
6: Oh, great. Like I say, you ha- I have asked that question before, but I couldn't think exactly what you had said about it. But thank you for that, Mike. I uh, also wanted to ask you, I-, I have a tall white fence that goes around my yard. And I was wondering what type of plants could I put, like, by my patio to leave in in the container to more or less make it- the decoration look a little... Better than it is for, for right now. I mean, what type of plants would be the best to dress up my patio?
2: Well, so you're talking about something that would be there year round. Yeah. So mm-hmm. you look at some of the more or less dwarf conifers. Even an Alberta spruce is not necessarily my favorite, you know, dwarf conifer, but consequently, they're really tough. They're durable. I mean, I have even for years when I lived in Soulard, I grew plant material of all kinds you know in pots and just because we had a courtyard but I grew even Leland cypress and a more or less bones item. So just take a look at the gold-thread brand cypress. There's all oh. kinds of things that you can grow in pots really pretty easily and have pretty good luck with them. And even you know with the protection and everything else, just making sure that you, you water them in the uh, wintertime if it's, we have a dry spell. Even holly or something along that line. I've seen people, and I've done it myself, I've grown azaleas. In pots, but you got to get a pot that's at least probably 24 or 30 inches in diameter. doesn't right. have to be all that deep, but it has right. to be wide.
6: Okay, I've got it. Wow, that's why I put the call in to you, Mike, because you've got the answers. So, <laughs> listen, have a great snowy day, and uh, I'll probably call you some more in the future.
2: Well, that okay. sounds great. You Thanks, Jane. Uh-huh. Yeah, and speaking of snowy... I'm looking out the window right now, and it's starting to snow here. So, oh man, just nuts. <laughs> Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline. We'll be back after these messages.
1: This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with your host, Mike Miller, on KMOX.
2: If yes, folks have any questions, concerns, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Uh, the juncos are still hanging around. It's been amazing. They really like those. We have uh, the the sugar maples, and they their maple squirts are really small, especially in comparison to the other maples, which uh, really get kind of they're giants. But these are you know, but they they're always. Down there, they land in the mugo Pine, and then they jump to, down to the ground, and they start looking for things to eat as well as gravel. So they hit those things, and the the squirrels I can't they are just acrobatic when it comes to eating these you know maple squirts on these sugar maples, and uh, so consequently. They are hanging upside down to try to chew these little things. It seems to me that, you know, squirrels obviously know what they're doing, but they're wasting more energy, you know, to try to get something to eat than they are actually getting the benefit of eating, but uh, that's probably not actually what the case is. Uh, Deep root feeding. I talk about it every week because I think it's something that's really, really crucial. It's something I started doing way back when i worked at the botanical garden i didn't even know about it to be honest with you i went to i never heard of it you know growing up here in the metropolitan area when i was in california i don't think people did it there you know when i was in school i don't you know remember any kind of class or anything discussing it but that's where you go out and you auger holes in the ground around your trees or in the summertime what i do is if i've got spots in my lawn i auger some holes and then i backfill those holes with compost or a compost topsoil mix. So around your trees, you go out about halfway from the trunk to the drip line, and then you start augering holes. You go down about six or eight inches or so with this auger, and uh, you just make a circle all the way around with the holes about two feet apart or so. Then you go out of one or two feet, another hole, and then another hole, and you go stri- you know, just slightly beyond the drip line, and you backfill all these holes with you know organic matter. What that does is... It feeds the soil. Your soil, we kind of, uh, you know, sort of don't quite understand many times that the soil is really crucially important. Many times a healthy soil doesn't necessarily mean if you're not trying to grow something specific that you need to add fertilizer to it for the health of your plants because healthy soil means healthy plant material. So that's really kind of the great part of it. We got into this concept or this idea thinking that, uh, well, if we use fertilizer, we don't have to worry about the soil. That's completely wrong. Healthy soil is going to make a huge difference. Yes, initially, maybe for the first season or two, if you've tried to grow, let's say, lawn from seed or even lawn from sod, and your soil's highly compacted and you didn't work on the soil to try to aerate it and get it improved, your lawn is not going to do well. And your plant material is not going to do well, whether it's trees or shrubs or perennials or ground covers or anything else. Compacted soil is the worst thing for you know trying to grow plant material. And unfortunately, clay soil is highly compacted. And this region is just nothing but full of clay soils, not all over the place. Florissant, Florissant Valley, Valley of the Flowers, they have different types of soil than many of the other areas throughout the metropolitan area. But, you know, compacted soils is really, really not good for the plant material. So augering these holes, putting compost in there is going to be definitely to the advantage of everybody as far as your lawn, your trees, your ground cover, your perennials. Growing plants from seed. I You know, I've had a couple callers already this year, and I always get some, you know, some people that call. And, yes, I mean, you need the bottom heat mats. You need this. You need the grow lights and everything else and it's it 's kind of fun to do. I mean, I grow probably every couple of years I grow some things from seed, but for the most part, I just grow them to give me something to look at during the wintertime. But I grow you know and buy the plants that i 'm going to if i 'm going to get some new plants from the garden centers because they 've been grown professionally they got everything exactly right, and the chances of having good production out of these plants is going to be a lot better than what I can do in my own home. Uh, you know, with grow lights, with heat mats, and everything else, with a, let's say starting potting mix for starting plant materials, and everything. If you are going to try to grow some plants from seed, make sure that your grow lights initially, when you plant the seed, your grow lights are only about two inches above the potting mix that you're growing them in. Any higher than that, it's let's say the the light rays are just reduced, and sometimes. I mean, I've been in people's houses where they've tried to grow some seeds, and there's nothing wrong with it. They have maybe, you know, like a foot or so from the potting mix up to the grow light, and the luck is not going to be good. Yes, the seeds will germinate, but what is going to happen is they're going to elongate, so they're not going to be healthy. Just like the first caller today, he was talking about how, you know, his tomatoes, and these are tomatoes that he buys you'll have a tendency to elongate but that's what's going to happen you know once your seeds once the seeds germinate there's the first series of leaves is called cotyledons they don't look anything like the leaves of whatever you're trying to grow whatsoever then after those cotyledons then the plant if it's healthy is going to be able to start putting foliage out that is you know will mirror what it's going to look like as a mature plant but if you start seeing your seedlings that you've grown that germinates, they start laying over, or the stem that they you know that's coming out of the potting mix starts losing color, then that usually indicates that these are not going to be successful plants. That's not to say you have to throw them away, but the, the chances of them getting acclimated and you having success with them, other than just the fact of growing them, is going to be really limited. For a long time, every couple of, you know, for several years in a row, I would just get some clover. And uh, grow them in pots, in flats, you know, with grow lights and bottom heat. Just you know, because they're pretty, t- it's pretty tough stuff. Then I would take them out, and I wouldn't put them in my yard by any means. But uh, I just kind of take them out and set them out and the. Uh, let people if they wanted them, which usually people didn't want them because clover is really highly invasive and can cause some problems in not only a lawn circumstance but other circumstances as well. But it's, they're pretty easy to grow. And with clover, if you want to have clover in your landscape, clover captures nitrogen out of the air, stores it in the root systems. And that's why the farmers use clover in those kind of situations. So they can plow it under and it just enriches the soil. So indirectly or directly. So that's one of the easy plants to grow from seed. It just has to have an inoculant. So, in other words, the seed has to be covered because that's what triggers the germination of the seed. So, lots of different stuff. We do have another hour coming up. So, at the tip of the trial hour. So, if you do have any questions or concerns, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120.
1: KMOX is at your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Now here's your host, Mike Miller on KMOX.
2: Yes, Mister Kelly. I don't know if you're listening to the Garden Hotline when you're in the newsroom doing your job, but uh, Junkos—that's what uh, yeah. you know—is around us a lot right now. Junkos, mm-hmm. Blue Jays, and then occasionally a Cardinal. How about your bird feeders? That's what pretty seeing? much
3: that, and along with uh, uh, woodpeckers. Really? Yeah, and there's one pretty young one who is not a f- very afraid of me. I'll be out there pretty close to him, and he'll still sit there and eat away. Wow. And then we got another adult who's got the big kind of orangish red head, just beautiful. So, yeah, yeah, same kind of thing, a lot of junkos, a lot right. of them, yeah.
2: I never realized growing up, you know, in West County, I think you grew up in North County, I yeah. can't remember, mm-hmm. but uh, I don't remember junkos as a kid. Yeah,
3: I I don't remember paying attention to them much. And we didn't have feeders. Oh, we did. My mother was
2: very much into feeding the birds. But uh, it was mainly a lot of sparrows, Mm -hmm. a lot of cardinals, a lot of blue jays. But the juncos, you know, a lot of wrens. But uh, junkos weren't around all that much.
3: Yeah, we have. We also have a lot of the finches too. They're still around, and, and boy, you get a bunch of them going. Really? Yeah. See, I
2: haven't seen. Them. We don't yeah. have finches in the city, I guess.
3: Yeah, we we do, and they're not that bright yellow. <laughs> they are in the summer, of course. Right, but we have a bunch of them. Yeah, so. they got to
2: hide out in the wintertime. Exactly, blend <laughs> in. Right, and it's you know, speaking of uh, birds, just in general, I take walks in the morning. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes after sunrise, sometimes after you know before sunrise. But the crows, I always, I can never figure out where they're headed. You know, they always seem to be going the same direction, calling out to each other. Here, let's go this way. Mm-hmm. So I guess they're headed for the landfills. I'm not exactly sure. Yeah, I'm not sure. Just keep I... away from my house. <laughs> Why are you anti-crow?
3: I'm anti-crow. What uh... a meat crow. <laughs> but not at my house.
2: Right. Well, yes. thanks, Brian. You're
3: welcome.
2: And folks, if you have any questions or concerns, three one four. or 1-800-925-1120. If you have some ideas or comments. And by the way, thanks for having me on your show. We can discuss plant selection, the ups and downs and all arounds. I don't think the garden centers even have any kind of bulbs yet, but they may. But uh, Tracy and I were at a retail store yesterday, and they were selling hyacinth bulbs. So not the grape hyacinth, the regular hyacinth bulbs in kind of fancy vases of water. So, in other words, you've set the hyacinth bulb in this, let's say, water circumstance where the part, the bottom part of the bulb is in water. And then it'll send root systems out. And then it'll, you know, from that, it's going to send foliage out. And then finally a flower. So that, you know, hyacinths are really kind of cool this time of year for, to give you a little bit of fragrance and color both. So maybe, uh, your edibles. The herbs in our kitchen window still look very, very good. I'm totally surprised. I thought one of the variegated uh, excuse me, <coughs> variegated sages was going to have some trouble. It's not as healthy as I have two different variegated varieties, but it's not as healthy as the other one. But it's not really too bad. How about your lawn, your perennials, your roses, your trees, your shrubs, your vines, or water gardens? I'll share my thoughts, but please remember my answers, comments, and opinions is not the only garden path to take, but strictly offered for you to try to think about and maybe just, uh, you know, say, I don't want to do it that way. I want to do it this way. It's strictly up to you. And uh, across the big board is Greg Harvey. He's producing. And during the week, I do something I call a walk and talk where I come to your home. We discuss Whatever is going on in your landscape, whether it's problem solving, aesthetics or, you know, a com- you know, a combination of both things. So you can go to my website, MikeMillerDesigns.com, the homepage where my email address is and my phone number. And we can get together and set up a walk and talk. Also, if you'd like to give a walk and talk for a Valentine's Day present or something along that line, that would be certainly something to consider. You can contact me. I have a gift certificate. I'd email you and you can give it away. To whoever you like. Tip of the trowel is a special recognition of individual group or situation that's made an impression on me, and it's brought to you by St. Louis Composting. So 636-861-3344. Uh, last week, because the show was the second hour was cut off, I wasn't really able to give the tip of the trowel. But I'm going to you know, mention this. I did mention it last week, but I'm going to mention it again. If you really want to go someplace during this sort of dreary Gray, whether it's snowing or not or anything else, heading out to the butterfly house in Faust Park, the Sophia M. Sachs butterfly, nothing could be better than that. When? Well, I'll tell you what. January 26th and 27th, is that today? I don't know what the date is today. Yes, it is. But uh, they've got something going on. It's a tropical-themed, kid-friendly event which features music, crafts, and live animal encounters besides all of the butterflies. So the activities are between 10 and 4 on both days, and it's all included in the Butterfly House admission. And then also later on, starting in February 1st, which is only a few days from now, Morpho Mardi Gras. So the Butterfly House, if you've not been there, it is unbelievable. It's breathtaking. You step inside, the plants are fantastic, and then you see all these butterflies. Some of the colors are just beyond reality as far as seeing them just floating around. And as I said last week, too, Sometimes you can have a certain color on that the butterflies are attracted to. So they'll even land on you. So that makes it kind of more fun, too. So the butterfly house with the things going on this weekend and then from February 1st to March 31st with the Morpho Mardi Gras. Also, the butterfly house and the butterfly house is run by the Botanical Garden. Botanical Garden spread out all over the place. They have the Shaw Nature Reserve, which is out in Grey Summit. And then, of course, the butterfly house I just mentioned. And then guess what? Where the Botanical Garden actually is, or as I was when I was growing up, it is the Shaw's Garden. And it kind of got better than that as far as its name was. But at the Botanical Garden from February 1st, which is only a few days from now, the Botanical Art Wide World, America's Flora. So they're going to have an art exhibit there, and it's going to be fantastic. It's in this actually Stephen and Peter. Oh, yeah, Steve. <laughs> Sorry, Stephen and Peter Sachs Museum, and it starts on February 1st, 46 pieces of artwork, botanical works of native plant material, and that's starting on February 1st. Starting on February 2nd is the Orchid Show, and the Orchid shows in the Ridgeway Center. So you just come in, you pay, you buy your ticket, and if you don't want to go outside, you don't have to. You can just walk straight across the Ridgeway Center and head turn to the right, and that's where the exhibit hall is. So if you want more information on those two things, on the Art Exhibit, Botanical Art Worldwide, America's Flora, or the Orchid Show, you can go to www.mobot.org. Www.mobot, or you can call 314-577-5100 or one 800 Six four two eight eight four two. So two other great things going on now. This is at the main botanical garden, in other words, Shaw's Garden. And then last week, uh, tip of the trial goes out to one of the listeners of the show. He sent me some pictures of his pansies that are growing in you know clay pots and not really huge clay pots or anything else. And this was on January eleventh when he actually sent them, so it was a little bit more than a week ago. But they really look good. And so I sent him an email back and I said, well, how are they looking since, you know, we've had some really harsh cold? Well, one day when I guess it was two days ago when the, you know, the low was supposed to be in the single digits, he said he did take them inside, but then he's going to take them back outside. So, I mean, I was shocked at how well they actually look because I grow pansies myself. But uh, this late in the, you know, in the wintertime, In a small pot like that, he's got three different pots. I was very, very impressed with him. So anyway, thanks to Patrick for emailing me the pictures of his pots of pansy. So Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages.
1: KMOX is the weather station. Get the forecast here every 10 minutes, mornings, and afternoons with weather bulletins at once. On the voice of St. Louis, KMOX. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, here's Mike Miller on KMOX.
2: Yes, folks, questions, concerns, or comments, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Your ground's probably fairly frozen, so if you could, uh, you know, minimize the amount of walking you do across your lawn, uh, you know, whether it's a Zoiza lawn, which is all tan this time of year, or whether it's a bluegrass or a fescue lawn, which are green this time of year. So the reason why is because when you step on it, your feet, just your body weight and everything else can cause, let's say, the crown of the individual lawn plants, which lawn is just a billion, like, little plants itself. Uh, you can break, you know, cause some damage to the crown and then that could cause some damage later on. And with the snow and everything else we've had, if you've looked out at your lawn and you start to see a kind of a pinkish cast to it, that's actually winter fungus. And winter fungus is not as deadly as summertime fungus, but what it does is just weaken the lawn in certain spots, especially if they're lower spots where it's wet and things along that line. And then When summer rolls around and everything else, that's when the real damage because of the lawn is in those locations is already weak, and then trouble could come. So, anyway, let's head to Benton, Illinois, and see what's going on with Matt's yard. Hi, Matt.
5: Hey, Mark. I just wanted to expound on the issue earlier that you had touched on about moles. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, uh, without uh, attending to traps and whatnot, uh, a less uh, invasive procedure to do that would be uh, my grandma uh, a long time ago showed me if you would take a piece of fish covered in salt a lot of salt and then lay it either by the the mole entry point or dig a little hole stick it down the mole tunnel and then cover it back up the moles will then eat the fish uh, and then the salt on it will dehydrate them and then they go away
2: wow i've never yeah. heard of that
5: I know and uh, so that's why and nobody has and that's why i wanted to, uh, to call in because it's like it, it's phenomenal and it's just one of those old school old-timey things right uh that uh we miss now in modern day era uh where we want to put traps out and i see them all the time at uh different stores i go to and sure. i just laugh because anyways but that's it uh, i'm i'm super simple and i just wanted to say uh everyone that, that's uh, a quick easy fix to that and the guy that uh called earlier about his mole issues could try that and uh, he wouldn't have to tend traps and everything because i'm right. sure that we all work and everything and have lives and I, as much as we like to go to butterfly houses and everything like that which is awesome because my little girl loves it and uh but that's it mark uh, i just wanted to touch on that issue real quick
2: well great well thanks matt yeah, sometimes oh, yeah. the old school stuff is really great. Sometimes it's you find out well it really wasn't all that effective. But uh this sounds like something that will work very well if uh you know dehydration is one of the ways to certainly control uh any kind of wild, let's say rodents. So thanks Matt. And now let's go to Lou and Lou lives in Campsville. Hi, Lou.
7: Hello. I have another little phenomenon to talk about relating to tomato situation. <laughs> I was at a friend's office up in Pittsfield last Friday, and a long table desk along the big picture window on the south side of his office is a clay pot with two tomato plants growing. Uh, the one I couldn't tell had anything. The other one was about three feet across, laying across the table, and he was quick to show me it had three little cherry tomatoes <laughs> <Great>. on it. Great, <laughs> and one of them was starting to ripen. <laughs> Now, How does that happen?
2: <laughs> That's uh, you know kind of a quirky type thing. Just you know that particular t- you know that particular plant in that particular location. Uh, you know just everything just happened to be right. So it's kind of amazing because I mean you know tomatoes are wind pollinated. Basically, they don't need insects to pollinate them. So there has to be some kind of breeze through the you know the furnace or whatever heating system or the breeze where when you get close to windows sometimes you can tell there's kind of an airflow due to the different, you know, temperature difference between the inside of the window and the outside of the window. So that's how it got pollinated. Or, you know, maybe he took, let's say, a Q-tip and did the pollination himself. But uh, some way they they had to be pollinated.
7: (laughs) But that happened with years ago when I lived at Edwardsville. with my neighbors started all their plants in the basement with grow lights in the spring of the year. Have no idea why they started cucumbers, <laughs> and they got ahead of them, and they didn't didn't do anything. Right? They they ran a paint store. They took artist brushes home, and she went down and painted this blossom, this blossom, this blossom, and pretty soon they had little pickles sitting on it. And <laughs> I could not believe. Well, the next thing happened was a big talking about a while ago about a big. A jaybird, um, red pecker, redhead woodpecker, hit their picture window and knocked itself out. She takes it in, runs cold water on its head, and brings it to life, sets it out. And I said, you're the only person I know of that could work the, the, the birds and the bees here all in the, <laughs> one fell swoop. <laughs> But the tomato thing, I thought that was really cute, and they were, you know, the vines were scraggly looking, and they just crawled across this desk about two and a half, three feet. That's amazing. Tomatoes, yeah, and fascinating, you know, just nature.
2: Absolutely, you never know what kind of quirkiness is going to happen. That's kind of the fun of plant material, you know. That's one of the things that attracted me as a kid because there were so many different things going on all over the place, and then you know it's never ceased. So it's just absolutely fascinating.
7: Nature, Mother Nature, or whoever, has a wonderful way of doing things, I guess you could say. Right,
2: entertaining.
7: <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> now, thanks for listening to me. Sure, yeah.
2: thanks, Lou. And now let's go to Joseph, and he's from Alton. Hi, Joseph.
5: Hi, Mike. How are you doing? Very good. Good, good. Uh, how do you feel about rolling a lawn
2: it just depends upon the lawn circumstance and everything else because, you know, what that does is I'm assuming you're you're talking about a roller that you'd put some water in for weight and everything else. Correct. So Correct. I don't know if you're trying to compress down mold tunnels, surface mold tunnels, but it's, uh, you, you know. Like
5: after the season, it's just everything is just lumpy.
2: Yeah. And so, I can
5: like smooth it up with a lawnmower. I really, I personally I just enjoy doing it, but <laughs> I just wanted your opinion on it because I going to do it regardless.
2: Yeah. <laughs> <I just> wanted, <laughs> what do you don't think? do it. No. <laughs> No, it's it probably doesn't help all that much, but maybe it does. Obviously, if you've done it and you feel it's successful, there's nothing wrong with you doing it. Just again, the soil compaction is my concern, but it's not going to be heavy enough that actually is going to cause the soil to be any more compacted than it than it probably currently is. So it's more of an (laughs) aesthetic thing for you as opposed to actually doing anything that can benefit. You know what? You I'm assuming your lawn area.
5: It's just what it is. Just for, uh, it's just like it smooths it out with a lawnmower. Because after the season, right now, it just. It looks extremely lumpy out there. Right. And I just enjoy just rolling it out. That's all.
2: That's you know that's okay. perfect, and that's kind. Of, your
5: opinion.
2: Yeah, I mean that was when I was talking about you know woody plant material being in the ground for a couple you know less than a couple years. It can freeze and thaw, and you could have you know things pop up as far as the the woody plant material, the tree or the shrub. And mm-hmm. that's probably mm-hmm. what's happening in your lawn too. This freezing and thawing, and because of our crazy weather and the types of lawns we have to have you're going to have the same type of circumstance so you may be doing something that's very good
5: thank you michael appreciate all right. it much have a good day
2: certainly you do the very same thing yeah so i mean there's all kinds of different things that you don't necessarily think of and speaking of you know speaking of lawns if you have a lawn service which is fine that's great that's fantastic but uh If your lawn service is telling you that you need this, you need this, you need this, you need this without taking any kind of soil testing, then I would say take a soil test first before it's done. Because, you know, the gentleman talking about uh, putting a piece of fish with a salt and, you know, getting rid of dehydrating, you know, the rodents and moles and voles or or whatever it happens to be. For years, everybody said you had to have lawn, lawn lime on your lawn. And that turned out to be totally disastrous in a lot of situations because the the pH of your water, all kinds of different factors, you know, has an influence on the soil pH. Then you put lime down, thinking that's going to make your lawn better. That's not necessarily the case until you get a soil test done, which there has been some people that have called in that their soil test indicated that their soil was like 4.5, which is so acidic. I'm surprised it didn't burn the bottom of their feet. You know, I'm exaggerating a little bit, but, uh, you know, when they were walking on it, but alkalinity, you know, you can have it where your soil pH is up in the eights or nines or something like that. And then, you know, even if it's just 7.6, You put lime down, and you're going to raise it some. And for a lawn, basically a lawn, even though we always think a lawn likes a lime soil, no, that's not the case. Lawn likes a slightly acidic soil. So below 7, between 6.5 and 7, that's the ideal pH for growing successful lawn. And so the whole idea of just doing stuff routinely without, uh, you know, giving it much thought is not the best way to go about it. So Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline. If you have any questions, concerns, or comments, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120.
1: This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with your host, Mike Miller, on KMOX.
2: Yes, folks, any questions, concerns, or comments, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. I'm going to go back and talk about uh, the uh, de-icers. You know, the the classic rock salt is not the way to go because it does some damage to your hardscapes that you're putting it on. And then when it runs off, it can do some damage to your plant material as well regardless of what it is. So uh, stay away from the sodium chlorides and go with the calcium chlorides or the phosphorus chlorides or potassium chlorides. So, yes, they are a little bit more expensive, but your landscape is going to certainly appreciate you not sort of dehydrating the soil because the, even though they are de-icers, they don't have the dehydration factor that the typical rock salt has. So just always keep that in mind when you're buying you know, any of the ice melts or anything that... Hopefully we don't need them anymore this year. Tracy's got a couple, and she likes to buy them in those huge I guess they're jar, plastic jars or whatever. And so she can just kind of sprinkle the stuff around. But uh, if you're weather, it doesn't matter what type you're getting, it doesn't make any difference whatsoever. So just stay away from the rock salt. It's cheap and not so good for your plant material. So, as I said before, after the show's over today, I'm going to head home and get rid of the leaves that are in the, you know, on my landscape, on my lawn. Boy, it's just going to be – I keep looking out the window and see, oh, it's not snowing enough to make that much difference, but – It's going to be just kind of a heartache and a hassle just, you know, thinking about it. So if you do have any questions or concerns, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. It's a good time to go out and just kind of take a look at your trees. You say, well, if I have deciduous trees, how do I know if I have some dead wood? So, in other words, dead branches. Well, you can just look at the tip of the branches, and even if you have to take a pair of binoculars, if there's no buds on the tip of the branches, more than likely, probably this branch is dead wood. And the dead wood pro- is problematic from the standpoint that it can harbor potential diseases and things along that line, as well as insects. So, just realize having you know, an arborist come out and take the dead wood off your trees is going to keep your trees healthy. It's, just, I mean, there's no getting around it. So that's kind of what we're looking at. Mike lives in St. Peter's. Mike, how are you today?
8: Good, good. Uh, pleasure to talk to you. I got a couple questions for you. Um, we have this, uh, we moved in this house in April, and there's a lot of big brown, uh, I guess, landscaping rock. It's probably like two inch. Some, some are a little bigger. You know, um, we have a, a lot of it around uh, a pool area, around uh, the sides, front. But we get a lot of weeds that grow up through there, and a lot of this real low, uh, viney-looking weed. It's almost—it almost looks like a clover, but it's more of a, um, a stiffer uh, vine, I guess. On it, maybe right. I should say. Okay. And 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 other various weeds, but you know, I, I want to get away from spraying Roundup. I don't want to use that stuff anymore. What is a good natural alternative? I was I was thinking. Uh, you know, salt in water or or maybe some bleach in water. But we do have other plant, you know, in beds around this area, so I don't want to oversaturate. But I, these th- these weeds are just coming up like crazy, and I'm wanting to do something to try to help prevent them or keep them down this, this year.
2: Well, you can use a – I'm assuming these are probably annual weeds. So you could use, you know, a preventer. You know, so in other words, a pre-emergent preventer. So in other words, if they're growing right now, then they germinated last August. So you'd have to put the pre-emergent down, you know, in sort of mid to late August if you wanted to do that. It's a basically a granular type thing. You spread it over the whole area, and then as anything germinates, the seeds, it kills it right at that point. It kills it with phosphorus, and or. Uh the ones that, you know, might be growing in this, let's say the springtime start sprouting then and then grow through the summertime. You'd make your application of a pre-emergent when the yellow forsythia is in bloom. Another option is to actually, you know, to go out there and go after them individually as a plant material with like horticultural vinegar. And so basically it's just kind of a refined type vinegar. So it's vinegar, vinegar, and, but it will kill the plant material. So that would be another option as well.
4: Huh. Yeah, they they just take
8: over. I mean, it's it's we're out there and we pick just piles of them every, you know, in the summertime probably sure. every couple of weeks. Yeah, so you those are
2: Yeah, those are probably ones that germinate in the springtime and then grow all the way through summer until the weather starts getting cooler and the days get shorter, then they die yeah. off, but they've dropped a zillion seeds during that time. So a pre-emergent, when the forsythia is in bloom, and then go after, you know, anything that doesn't, that's let's say, escapes a pre-emergent with a horticultural vinegar.
8: Perfect. Thank you very much. I appreciate it.
2: Certainly. Good luck with that. And anybody else has any questions or concerns, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. As I'm, you know, walking around the neighborhood and everything else, a lot of people have the ground covers and people... You know, I mean, ground covers are great. They're, you know, all purpose and everything else. But you can't just sort of like let them go because they kind of run out of, let's say, energy. And especially the English ivies and the Bulgarian ivies and the Baltic ivies. If you have an older stand of it, watch it real close because the stems will start to elongate or that's what it appears to be. And what it is, the stem is the length that it, you know, actually is. But closer to where it's coming and where it's rooted and coming out of the ground, it starts sort of like evergreen doesn't mean evergreen forever. The foliage dies, and you're only going to have, let's say, the last foot or 18 inches or so with foliage on it. So that's where the trouble comes in. And once it elongates like that, there's really not too much you can do other than ultimately taking it all out and, you know, replanting. So, well, what do you do? How do you prevent that from happening? Well, just routinely, you know, within the first, let's say, every three or four years, set your mower high and just go over your ground covers. And that's going to keep them from elongating, you know, like what I'm speaking of. And, boy, when they elongate, they are ugly. They don't stabilize the soil. And it's just really kind of a disaster in a way. So let's, head, let's go. Oh, a second Matt today. And this Matt lives in Pittsfield, Illinois. Hi, Matt.
7: Uh, hi. Uh, we uh, recently uh, added
5: on to our house so uh, a lot of dirt work, and the yard just really took a beating, mostly dirt right now. And I just wondered, is it going to be a waste of my time to, to try and, and grow some new grass this spring, or I mean, should I wait until the fall to even attempt it?
2: Well, I mean, spring is not the ideal time because right. seed germination is triggered by soil temperatures. So the soil is still in the springtime is cool or slash cold because we're coming out of wintertime. So even waiting until May or so, the soil is starting to certainly warm up. But uh, I, just basically what you're going to have to plan on doing is every May and every September for the next several years is putting some seed starter fertilizer down with new grass seed. Because okay. to get a thick lawn, it's going to be it's going to take a while. Yeah. And work right. the soil up first, you know, add some compost to it, get it, you know, just, uh, I don't know what this soil was, even if they say it's river bottom or it's topsoil or anything else, it's not going to mix it in with the existing soil so the root systems of the seeds as germinate can get, you know, better established into the, the actual landscaping.
5: Okay, well, would, would run a, like a harrow over it, would that be enough, or do you think I need to till till up the to-
2: couple of inches uh you, just so it you know just so whatever soil has been brought in you can actually see the existing soil is blended in with you know with this new stuff that's been brought in so whatever it takes a tiller would be ideal but it's going to be obviously more work right because then you got to level you got to do this you got to do that but if you do get seed make sure you get seed starter fertilizer to go with it
5: all right sounds great
2: thank you yep and now, let's see, we probably should take a break, right? Mike Miller, K M O S Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Let's go, Blues! Hey, folks,
3: Chris Kerber with you here in the St. Louis Blues. Head into their all-star break, and by week, they've got some time off. They'll return to action on February 2nd. That's a Saturday night in Columbus. They'll be on the road to take on the Blue Jackets with a 5.30 pregame show and a 6 o'clock faceoff from Nationwide Arena, right here on your home for St. Louis Blues hockey, KMOX.
1: Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, here's Mike Miller on KMOX.
2: Yes, folks, we've got about ten minutes or so to go, and then at ten o'clock, the Rick Edelman show. Eleven o'clock, the Helitech Foundation Repair Home Improvement Show. Then at one o'clock, Rick Edelman show, not the same show that was on at ten, but just a you know a new version. And at three o'clock, the Business of Family Business with Ryan Recker. And 4 o'clock, Health Matters, presented by SSM Health with Fred Bottomore And 5 o'clock, the KMOX Auto Show with Greg Damon. So all kinds of stuff coming up. So let's head back to the phones and go out to St. Peter's. Ted, how are you today?
9: Oh, I'm Dandy. How about you? Very good. Okay, I thought I'd just share the way I've had good luck catching voles. I use uh, mousetraps that have the square plastic plate. Rather ah. than the, rather than the traditional metal job, right? And I and I put a, approximately five dots of, gorilla glue, if I can say that brand name, sure, on it, and then I stick, uh, black oiler sunflower seeds on them, put those on those dots, and wait for it to cure. Don't put too much, or you'll be trimming, the polyurethane <laughs> after it cures. <laughs> but uh, I've caught as many as five voles without having to rebait. Wow. And I'd put them in my garage, even. You might, it might be surprised. I caught two in my garage.
2: You're kidding. Two voles?
9: Yeah. Wow. And I, and I caught mice, too, so I know the difference. Right. <laughs> and when you put them outside, I would suggest that you put some kind of little c- container or whatever over them so you don't catch those inquisitive little Carolina wrens.
2: Right. Because they're going said- to be attracted to the seeds, that's for sure.
9: Yeah, I that's, just set two-by-four blocks, you know, sharp two-by-fours on edge, and then a piece of whatever over the top, plywood or cardboard if the rain doesn't get it.
2: Right. Wow, so that's voles, great.
9: So the voles can get in, but try to keep the Carolina rands out.
2: <laughs> that's very thoughtful of you. And very, you know, very good idea, too. I've ne- again, I've never heard of that, so that's a good thought.
9: I listen to your show every week.
2: Well, thanks for having me on your show. (laughs) Sure thing. Sure. Now, let's stay out west and from St. Peter's go to Wentzville and see what's going on with Barb. Barb, how are you?
10: Hi, Mike. Hi. Uh, It's getting bad, so you recognize my name when I call. But uh, I wanted to ask, I've got an old jade, the uh, three. Stems, well, I guess you want to say, are nine inches around. It, uh, would I have any luck in repotting this? It's in a fourteen-inch pot.
2: You could certainly repot it, but uh, don't do it this time of year. Wait till the days start getting a little bit longer. And right, so, right.
10: But, but but it it'll su- successfully repot as large as it is.
2: Yeah, I mean it's going to be a lot of work. There's no getting around it. The thing's going to be heavy. So what you need to do is you don't want to get a huge pot. You only want to get a pot that's about one or two inches bigger. You don't have to repot them because a lot of times, you know, the jade plant is in the succulent cactus family. So consequently, it doesn't mind being pot bound at all.
10: Really? Really?
2: I mean, you could Uh. leave it there probably for another 20 years and it wouldn't matter all that much to it.
10: Really, because yeah. some of the leaves were getting uh, a little shriveled in some places. And last year, I just set it outside in like who cares, and watered <laughs> it once in a while, and it, and I broke a lot of pieces off and started other ones because so all right. you got to do is stick them in dirt. Uh, but the thing just keeps flourishing, so I brought it back in again. But I can leave it in that pot; it won't hurt. huh?
2: Absolutely. I mean, that's you know that's okay. a smaller okay. pot, but when I worked at the botanical garden. You know, after the four years in the English woodland garden, I went to work in the climatron. And at that time, there was a Mediterranean house and a desert house. They had a, a jade plant. Now this was a this was a huge one, weighed a ton, but it's it had been in the same pot, I think, for at least twenty plus years.
10: Oh, I thought it would quit. You know, it would bust the plot or, pot or quit performing if I didn't give it more
2: room. No, you journey. Because- That's a lot of times that's what people think, but that's not necessarily something that has to happen.
10: uh, Is that the same way with mother-in-law tongue that I've had forever And the pot? seems really full, and I know they're indestructible, but uh, do I divide them or just put them in a bigger pot?
2: You can just pull them straight out of the pot that they're in and put it in a bigger pot, but again, don't make the pot any larger than two inches, bigger than the one it's currently in. Okay. Okay. And with okay. the mother-in-law's tongue, it's not really a cactus or a succulent, but it's kind of that sort of let's say growth habit, culture, you know, care, maintenance type thing. Uh, so you could use a potting mix for de- you know for cactus if you wanted to, or just make sure you use potting mix and not potting soil.
10: Okay. Okay. Gotcha. All right.
2: Thank you very much. Yep. And the sansevieria, the mother-in-law's mother-in-law's tongue. Uh, When I was doing my walk and talk last week, you know, down at the Hyatt, they have one as you come in the door just to the left to go up. If you walk up the steps, that one has been there for a long, long time. It's in a pot. I mean, it does have rocks over the top of it for the aesthetic value. But it's been it's never been put into a larger pot whatsoever. So it just shows you how tough and durable they actually are. So thanks, Barb. Now let's go to Robin in Ellisville. Hi, Robin.
0: Hi, Mike. Thank you. Um, you were mentioning that you shouldn't be walking on the frozen grass and that kind of reminded, not reminded me, but really made me think I need to call you. So this house I moved into a few years ago and the back lawn wasn't really all that established. Um, I have dogs that run and play and the yard is a mud pit. (laughs) So I'm looking for suggestions on what I can do to, I've, I've planted grass, I've aerated, um, I'm I'm not a good lawn person, sorry. So if you can just give me some hints on what I can do come spring to try to get some some health and some grass back there, I would really appreciate it.
2: Yeah, you're never gonna get grass. Regardless okay. of what you do. I mean I mean I've got a neighbor that uh you know, we don't have big yards in the city or anything else, but he's actually fenced off part of his backyard because he's he has two relatively large dogs and it was just a sea of mud and but even you know he didn't really improve the soil or he didn't do anything at all you know from a helpful standpoint and so it doesn't look any better even though that he doesn't let the dogs get in there so even just you know cordoning off the you know the areas and expect, and expecting a lawn to just kind of Back infill is not going to do anything. The soil is super compacted. That's why nothing is going to grow there. And lawn has to have a circumstance where the soil is fairly well drained regardless of what type it is. So it would be a total renovation. And then the next time you let the dogs out into that area, you're going to end up back where you are now. Some of the things that you might think, which your neighbors would hate you for this, and I'm not saying that you should do it, but think, you know plants like you're still going to have to aerate the soil and prove the soil to a certain point, growing clover you know because that's a little bit tougher and more durable, but even that, if your dogs are running in the same place over and over and over again along the fence or wherever it happens to be, that's going to get stamped you know trampled out too. So clover is there.
0: Buffalo grass or anything. I've got a big backyard that's fenced in, so whatever I do back there, I do back there. And I'm going to be putting a lot of um, landscaping and mulching along the fence line because, yeah, they they are there. Right. So um, I aerated. That didn't seem to do me any good. Um,
2: Yeah, not if the dogs are still going to go back and forth across the area. The aeration aeration would be you do that, you get whatever seed you put down established, and then you just kind of go from there. In other words, you fence off that area until it gets reestablished. But it's going to end up back where it is now, I'm sure.
0: Okay, so pretty much
2: just deal with the mud, right? And you know, you can use mulch, especially if they if it's along the fence. You could just have more or less a pathway around your entire you know backyard,
0: right? And I and that that is part of the plan that I'm going to be doing. I'm just think right now thinking about the middle part that. And, like, off the patio and things like that. that right. They're just all torn up. <laughs> but, okay.
2: Yeah, you're not going to have successful grass or lawn in that situation at all. So, okay, sorry. Well, Harsh realities. You. Have a good day. <laughs> yep, you too. And now let's go to Jerseyville. Bob, how are you? Good morning, Mike.
11: Thank you for having me on your show. Because sure. if you weren't there, I wouldn't be calling in. Um. <laughs> 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 uh, <laughs> I'm thinking about tomatoes, and last year our tomatoes were great. But Mike, they they got so long; they must have been ten, twelve feet long. Time they were done, and I was wondering, did you say something one time about when growing tomatoes to trim them? You those? certainly
2: can to you know to control the elongation,
11: depending well, upon well, the I variety.
2: To- but yeah, I mean to prune them back, to cut them back, you. You know, after they get to a, after the first flush, you can cut them at that time. Let them flush once. Don't cut them before, the, you know, the first flush and then, you know, cut them and sort of make them more compact.
11: Will I get as many tomatoes will a fill in if my I just breaks my heart to cut off blooms. <laughs> I can't really do
9: it.
2: Now, it'll, yeah, I mean, there's going to be sort of a, a sequence of time when you're not going to have any fruit because they, it has this, you know, reformulate, you know, reset, regrow flowers, and then those flowers have to get pollinated. So, yeah, it's going to make an, you know, it's going to do something. Now, if you're growing cherry tomatoes or grape tomatoes, that really doesn't, it's not effective at all to cut them back.
11: No, it's basically, you know, your conventional big boy, better boy, right. uh, those type uh, celebrity. Uh, but and we had we had some we had some wonderful tomatoes, uh, but I, they they got so long they came way up. I I created a raised garden like you suggested, mm-hmm. and I went to St. Louis Composting and got that mix they have. Right. And if somebody's ever going to put in a raised garden, I suggest you go to them because they've got they've got all the right things together. And and I tell you, you talk about flourish, you know, <laughs> but. But they came up out of my four foot wire, and they must have been—they had to be ten feet long. 10 wow,
2: that's amazing! Yeah, so yeah, just you know, after the first flush, cut them back. You're going to have a period of time with no tomatoes, but that you know, if you want to control the growth, that's about the only way you can do it.
11: Will I get any more tomatoes than I would by letting them just go?
2: Uh, probably not. You'll okay. just get nicer looking plants.
11: Okay. Well, I guess maybe what I maybe I'll take one of them and try it
2: all right Uh, well yeah that's a great way to do it so sorry bob we got to go mike miller kmox garden hotline see you next week
8: (sighs) spring is a time of renewal so why not refresh your home with a little help from blinds.com we make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact choose from premium blinds shades and shutters we even have options for your patio too